Good morning, everyone. It's good to be with you. It refreshes my soul just to be together, and I'm glad for that. Well, the Bible tells us that the first I ever spoken in the history of the world was whispered by Satan in the garden when he told Adam and Eve, surely you will not die. It was a lie in direct defiance to the truth of God when he brought order to his creation. He told Adam and Eve that it, all of his creation was designed for them to flourish. They were lacking in nothing as they lived in fellowship with God. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil was off limits because it wasn't made for them. They had the tree of life. And the tree of the knowledge of good and evil only brought forth death. But then the enemy steps in and convinces Adam and Eve by saying, no, no, that's not true. Surely you won't die. In fact, you will become like God. Now, that statement was at the heart of his deception. And I want you to think about what that means. And I want to ask you, why was that so appealing? What is the benefit of being like God? I believe I can answer that question in one word. Control. Being like God means I'm in control. I can do what I want. I can have what I want. I can know it all. I can even determine what is right and wrong and live according to my very own standard. I think this is really, really important in our world today because that same lie that existed in the garden still exists in our world today. In fact, I think the biggest challenge that we may face in our world today is this desire to be in control. I believe it's why many people, even today, never come to a place of faith. They know all the truth about God, but they're unwilling to give their life to God. Why? Because they want to be in control. And even as believers, we still struggle with this issue in our own lives as well. We are not immune to wanting life to work out a certain way. We might trust God with our salvation and be very convinced of that truth, but then try to manage every detail of our daily life. This need to be in control is based on the lie of trying to be like God. Now, Solomon, not surprisingly, has a lot to say on this subject because his middle name is control, right? He tried to manipulate every facet of his life to get exactly what he wanted, but it just never worked out. So once again, he'll speak from his own experience trying to help us learn a different way to live, learning from his mistakes, and he'll uh, tell us a very important lesson that I want you to really grab hold of this morning. A lesson that says, the less you try to control life, the more you will learn to enjoy life. That's really, really important. Don't mess that. The less you try to control life, the more you will learn to enjoy life. That's at the heart of the passage this morning. So if you don't hear anything else I have to say, please walk away with that one, okay? And let's pray that that sinks deeply into our heart this morning. 
Lord, as we come to you, we want that truth uh, to reach to the depths of our soul so that it changes how we live. We are people who like to be in control. It was true in the very beginning with our first parents, and it existed in every generation since then. We want to be in control. And ultimately, we want to be like you. And so, Lord, I just pray that this morning we would have the courage to relinquish control and to trust in you instead of trying to be like you, to rest in you instead of trying to manage every detail of our daily lives. Father, help us just come to a place of peace in our heart as we look to you as the refuge in which we cling to. We pray this in your name. Amen. All right, turn, if you will, to Ecclesiastes chapter 8. And we'll begin where we left off last in verse 16 of Ecclesiastes chapter 8. So if you would, just follow along with me as I read, beginning in verse 16, where Solomon says, When I gave my heart to know wisdom and to see the task which has been done on the earth, even though one should never sleep day or night, and I saw every work of God, I concluded that man cannot discover the work which has been done under the sun. Even though man should seek laboriously, he will not discover it. And though the wise man shall say, I know, he cannot discover. Solomon has determined that life is a mystery that cannot be solved. Despite all our efforts to control the outcome, he's admitting, I've learned that you can't. Even if you never sleep, he says, day or night, if you never sleep, you will never solve the mystery that will continue to remain. Solomon knows there are things in life that just don't make sense, and you will not find an explanation. There is no formula we can follow to make life work like we want it to. Solomon's experiences left him to one very clear conclusion. He basically is saying, God is in control and we're not. We might desire to be like God. We might want to take control, but it just doesn't work. Like Solomon, we cannot discover the formula to make life work like we want. And we should, like Solomon, look at our frustration and our failure and learn from what we've experienced, only to realize that God is in control, and we are not. Look at how he continues in verse 1 of chapter 9. For I've taken all this to my heart and explain it, that righteous men, wise men, and their deeds are in the hand of God. Man does not know whether it will be love or hatred. Anything awaits him. Here Solomon highlights the fact that not even a righteous person has all the answers to life. People who do the right things are not guaranteed to live the good life. They might actually do good deeds and then be despised for them. People might seek their counsel and then reject them for it. Even if we walk in righteousness and wisdom, it does not guarantee that life will go well. Instead, Solomon says what happens in our life is determined by the hand of God, not the deeds of man. 
And what God does, we need to understand, is ultimately designed to bring about his highest good. There's no doubt, life can be and very often is more than we can handle. But listen to me, it will never be more than you can bear if you learn to rely on him. It may be more than you can handle on your own, but it will never be more than you can bear if you learn to rely on him. But here's the key, that can't happen unless you relinquish control. Look at how he continues in verse 2. It is the same for all. There is one fate for the righteous and for the wicked, for the good, for the clean, and for the unclean, for the man who offers a sacrifice and for the one who does not sacrifice. As the good man is, so is the sinner. As the swearer is, so is the one who is afraid to swear. There is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that there is one fate for all men. Furthermore, the hearts of the sons of men are full of evil and insanity, and it's in their hearts throughout their lives. Afterwards, they go to the dead. Solomon is saying, look, life is filled with all kinds of uncertainties, but there's one thing for sure. We're all going to die. Solomon says that the same fate befalls them all. In fact, kind of a sobering thought, but you and I right now are closer to the day of our death than when we walked in the door this morning. It's true. My dad had a doctor's appointment uh, this week, and the doctor said, hey, you are in, in really pretty good health for, for your age, and based on the life expectancy of the average male, you've got a good 10 to 15 years left in you. I was like, whoa, that's not very long, Right? <laughs> We need to make the most of this. Good grief. Was that good news? I'm not sure. Holy cow. But Solomon ultimately is trying to tell us the same thing. There are no guarantees in life except for the fact that we're all going to die. And that applies, as he says, to both the righteous and the wicked, to the obedient and the sinful, to the one who worships God and the one who rejects him. No one is immune. And eventually, Everyone will die. In verse 3, Solomon calls it an evil. And I think he calls it an evil because it appears to be unjust. Why should those who do evil experience the same fate as those who do good? Look at how he goes on to explain it, beginning in verse 4. For whoever is joined with all the living, there is hope. Surely a live dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know they will die. But the dead do not know anything, nor have they any longer a reward, for their memory is forgotten. Indeed, their love, their hate, and their zeal have already perished, and they will no longer have a share in all that is done under the sun. Solomon is saying if death is the universal limit that God has placed on all mankind, then in order to die well, you first have to learn how to live well. He says... A live dog is better than a dead lion. That's an interesting thought, isn't it? I want you to think about what Solomon might be saying here. And to do that, I want you to consider a lion. What do we know about a lion? A lion is the king of beasts, right? He's at the top of the food chain. He's the master of his domain. A lion is what all the other animals wish they could be. But a dog? He's a domesticated animal, which means he lives in submission to an owner. 
What happens in his life is determined by someone else. He, he can only dream of what it would be like to be a lion. But it's better to be a live dog than a dead lion. Because at least when you're alive, your days are filled with opportunity. There is no hope for the good life when you're dead. In fact, the dead lion is the one who longs to be a live dog. Solomon is making the point that you cannot control when you die, but you can determine how you live. He says, for the living know they will die. And living gives you opportunities that death cannot afford. So don't take life for granted. Look at how he continues in verse 7. Go then, eat your bread in happiness, and drink your wine with a cheerful heart, for God has already approved your works. Let your clothes be white all the time, and let not oil be lacking on your head. Solomon begins with the command. He says, go. Don't, don't just stand there. Don't just look at the, Go. Do something. He says, eat and drink with gladness and joy. Because as he says in verse 7, God has already approved what you will face in life. In other words, nothing happens in your world that doesn't first pass through his hands. So what we experience in life is not the result of our deeds. In fact, we don't want what we ultimately deserve. Promise, I promise you, we don't want what we deserve. Because the Bible is very clear. It says that the wages of sin is death. And that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Therefore, we deserve to die. There is no one in this room who deserves to live. The breath we breathe is a gracious gift of God that no one in this room deserves. The question is, why are you breathing? Why do you have that gift from God? I believe God has given us the gift of life so that we might encounter his gift of grace. God's ultimate goal is for us to find life in him. Everything that happens in your life is intended to draw you into a life-giving relationship with Him. He wants to take what has been hurtful and bring healing. He wants to bring forgiveness where there is sin. He wants the lost to be found. Jesus said, I came that you might have a life and have it abundantly. Through Christ, God is leading us to a life that no one can possibly discover on their own. Jesus actually says, he who believes in me will live even if he dies. The only reason we have life in this world is because God wants us to find life in him. So instead of worrying about death, learn how to live. Discover the life that God intends for you to have. Solomon says, let your clothes be white and put oil on your head. He's describing a person who's going to a banquet. In ancient times, that's what you would do. You would, it would be like putting on your, be, your Sunday best. And oil on your head, it was fragrant. It's like putting cologne on. It's like you're going to celebrate something. You're going with an anticipation of, of something good. He says, that's the way you should live life. 
discover the, the blessings built into God's design because they're there. Even in a broken world, they're there. He says in verse 9, Enjoy life with the woman whom you love all the days of your fleeting life which he has given to you under the sun. For this is your reward in life and your toil in which you have labored under the sun. Now, I'll admit, sometimes I read some of the things that Solomon has written in Ecclesiastes and I'm scratching my head going, I have no idea what you just said. And I have to just really think about it and unpack and go, okay, what, what does this mean? But what he says here, I get. He says, if you are married, enjoy the gift of marriage because marriage is a gift from God. It is a relationship that is filled with reward. I get this. This is not hard for me at all because my wife is the greatest blessing I have ever received and will ever receive this side of heaven. I get this. Marriage is a gift from God. I also know that the Bible says that there will not be marriage in heaven. And I need you to know, I'm not worried about that because that only means that God has something better, which totally blows my mind. Because if marriage is this incredible, then I can't wait to see what he has that is even better than that. So enjoy the gift of marriage, because marriage is a gift from God. But look how it continues in verse 10. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For there is no activity or planning or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol, in the grave, where you are going. Whether you're married or single, whether you're rich or poor, make the most of whatever you do. So go ahead, go, go ride a bike. Go, go snorkel in the ocean. Go see the Grand Canyon. Go laugh with some friends. Go adopt a child. Invite somebody into your home, share a meal, care for those who are hurting, love those who are sick. Whatever you decide to do, do it with all your heart and as a gift from God. Impact someone's life by laying down your own. Because Solomon is making the point, you can do none of those things in the grave. And that's not intended to be a depressing thought. It's intended to be a motivation to a life well lived. Life is not a formula that we follow. It is a gift that we receive. And there are no guarantees. Life cannot be manipulated. It can only be enjoyed. And Solomon should know because he tried to leverage every possible gift that God had given him for his own benefit somehow. And he always failed. Life is a gift from God, and He wants you to find life in Him. Every breath you breathe is an invitation for you to find life in Him. Look at verse 11. Again, I saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift, the battle is not to the warriors, neither is bread to the wise, nor wealth to the discerning, nor favor to men of ability. For time and chance overtake them all. Moreover, man does not know his time. Like fish caught in treacherous net and birds trapped in a snare, so the sons of men are ensnared an evil time when it suddenly befalls them. Once again, Solomon is making the point that life is not a formula because the swift don't always win the race. The strong don't always win the battle. The wise are not always successful in life. Life, in fact, is filled 
with uncertainties, things that catch us by surprise that, that we never see coming. He, he compares it to a fish caught in a, a net or a, a bird caught in a, a trap, and he's saying, look, if they could have seen that coming, they could have avoided all the trouble, but they can't, and neither can we. Solomon is realistic about life in this world. He's saying no one is immune to having their life turned upside down in an instant. Now, we always think it's going to happen to someone else. We never could imagine that it would ever happen to us. But life is filled with uncertainties, difficult moments that we never saw coming. But wisdom is what teaches you how to live life in the midst of those difficulties without any regret. Look at how it continues in verse 13. And this I came to see as wisdom under the sun, and it impressed me. There was a small city with few men in it, and a great king came to it, surrounded it, constructed a large siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor wise man, and he delivered the city by his wisdom. Yet no one remembered that poor man. So I said, wisdom is better than strength. But the wisdom of the poor man is despised and his words are not heeded. So Solomon is telling us that even though that we can't avoid tragedy, it's always wise not to invite it. In his example, Solomon's highlighting a strong man, a king who's depending on his strength. And because of his strength, he's laid siege to this very small city with very few people, and he's not worried because he's convinced he's going to defeat it. Why? Because he had everything under control. But in that city was a very poor, wise man who had a plan, a poor man who had learned to survive when the odds were against him. He was prepared for the day of trouble more than likely because each day had plenty of trouble of its own in the life of the man who was poor. But he was wise. And he learned from those difficulties how to survive. The king, on the other hand, only knew how to win. But despite his heroic efforts, despite having delivered that city through his wisdom, it says that his wisdom was quickly forgotten. Instead of learning from his example, the people in the city just went about their normal routines. Instead of preparing for the next time when they might find difficulty, they assumed, once again, it'll never happen. Solomon is helping us understand that it's not an issue of whether you will face difficulty. It's only an issue of whether you'll be prepared when you do. Look at verse 17. The words of the wise heard in quietness are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. Wise words can only be heard by those who are willing to listen. The fools can't hear because they're too busy talking. You cannot grow in understanding if you think you have all the answers. The wise are the ones who are willing to listen because they realize they still have a lot to learn. But in our world, people are quick to make war, especially when they think they'll win. And I believe that he's talking more about a war with words here than a war with guns because he talks about listening instead of, of shouting. He's highlighting the impact of sin and how sin destroys the, the relationships that God has 
given us to enjoy. It's not any different than what we learn from James when he says, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. Life is a gift from God, and it's a gift that we don't deserve, but God gives us this gift so that we might find life in him. Life is filled with opportunities to believe, but those opportunities don't exist in the grave. So don't take life for granted. Now, one of the things that we have been able to benefit from as we walk through this is learning from Solomon's wisdom. And a lot of that wisdom were from mistakes that he had made. But I thought here recently that even within our own church, there is a wealth of wisdom within the people who call this their church home, within our own church family. So one of the things that I did this week that I was really encouraged by is I reached out to some of those who have lived the longest in our church. And I asked them this question. I said, you know, you've heard it said, if I only knew then what I know now, I would do things differently. And I asked them, if you could do things differently, what might some of those things be? And I can't tell you the wealth of wisdom that I got in response to that question. But here's what I found interesting. To a person, without even knowing what I would be preaching on this, this morning, this was something that I'd ask just in general, can you give me some of your thoughts? Despite knowing anything that I would be talking about this morning, to a person, either stated or implied, they all said, one thing I know for sure, if I had to do it all over again, I would trust myself less and I would trust God more. One of them went on to say and said, They said, I lost a lot of sleep worrying about things, but now I realize those were things I was just trying to control. Another one said, I thought I could do it all, but life taught me that I can't. They went on to say, I wish I had been more willing to seek wisdom instead of trying to figure it all out on my own. (laughs) I'm listening to these answers, and I'm like, this is the message of Ecclesiastes, is it not? And I think the reason that connection takes place is because this is the lesson in life that God wants us all to learn. He wants us to realize that we cannot do it on our own. And we need to learn to rely on Him more than we trust ourselves. We want to be like God when we want to be in control. But we will not live the life He intends until we learn to let go. The less you try to control life, the more you will learn to enjoy life. It's certainly true when it comes to relationships. One person admitted, when I was young, it was all about me and my career. But looking back, if I had to do it all over again, I wish I'd been more concerned about others along the way. Someone else said, more bluntly, stay at home. You cannot influence those you love if you're never around. Another person said they would choose to be more forgiving because caring about bitterness only made life miserable for everyone, not just them. Trying to control our relationships will only destroy our relationships. We cannot manipulate people to get what we want. Instead, we need to sacrifice what we want in order to truly love other people. That's especially true in marriage. I ran across this great reminder this week that says that my desire to receive something from my wife must never exceed my desire to love and to listen to her. 
trying to be in control is grounded in the desire to be like God. And that desire is the root of all sin. Listen to how some talked about that in the responses I got. One person said, learn from disappointment, but don't let it define you. Our old sin nature is unwise, unkind, rebellious, but God is patient and forgiving. Listen to this. After all, no one sins to feel worse. No one. No one sins to feel worse. And yet that is the result. That's what happens when we seek to be satisfied apart from God. They said, forsake what is evil or it will destroy what is good. And listen to this one. He said, you can't have first things by seeking second things. He said, instead, seek first the kingdom and all the other things will be added to you. I I could go on and on and on. I have a stack of responses that I receive that are not just a paragraph, they're pages So I'm just scratching the surface of the wealth of wisdom that exists within the life of this body. So let me encourage you in a couple of ways. First, please, make an effort to seek this wisdom on your own. We have the blessing of a multi-generational church, and there is a wealth of wisdom throughout this body. So please, don't waste your time trying to figure it out on your own when you can learn from someone who's a little farther down the road than you who can help you navigate life better. God is inviting you to find life in Him. Be intentional about listening to those who've learned about how life works along the way. But secondly, let me remind you that there are no guarantees in life. So don't take life for granted. Spend less time trying to make life work for you and more time trying to understand the life that God has for you. God is inviting you to find life in Him. Jesus said, what profit is a man who who gains the whole world, but loses his own soul. He says, whoever wants to save his life, whoever wants to be in control, will lose it. But the one who is willing to relinquish control, the one who is willing to give up his life for my sake, he's the one who will find it. We find life through surrender, not through control. Solomon is right. The more we try to control life, the less we will learn to enjoy life. There's a passage in Isaiah 41.10, one I often go to. In fact, Doug, I think you're the one that first shared this to me in a moment of dealing with anxiety in my life, and I've stuck to this verse. It's on my phone, and I look at it often. Isaiah 41.10 says this, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And let me just tell you, if you believe that that's true, then there should be no reason you would have any desire to be in control. Because if he's the one who's in control and that's his promise, then that's where you should rest. That's where I should rest. And that's what we're invited to. So let me encourage you to do that as you continue in your week, in your week um, moving forward. So we're going to close in prayer, and then I have a new family I want to introduce to you this morning. So let me uh, pray for us. Lord, thank you for the truth of your word. And uh, 
the understanding of our hearts. I know, I know that, that Solomon could speak of this wisdom because you gave him insight into the heart of all humanity, of which he was no exception. We are so inclined, as we were in the very beginning, to want to be like you, to be in control, to have what we want, to do what we want, to know it all, to make all the rules, to live by our rules. But Lord, when we set out to do those things, we find that it just doesn't work out. And we actually create more havoc and hurt than healing and hope. So Father, I just pray that as we experience these things in our own life, that we would have the courage, that we would have the boldness, that we would have the humility to come before you, our holy God, who is in control and trust in you more than we trust ourselves. That we would believe that we can really only enjoy the life that you have given us if we don't try to control that life on our own. So help us trust in you and help us to rely on one another, to seek wisdom from within this body of believers, to learn from the relationships that you have given us, not to control relationships or manipulate people to get what we want, but instead to give up what we want in order to love other people. Father, help us to live that out faithfully as we desire to walk in wisdom. And we pray this in your name. Amen.